You know, friends, there are a few things in life for me that cause as much anxiety, quite like the fear or concern of not having enough. Maybe you can relate. I can think about times in my life where I have been fearful that I don't have enough resources, for example. Uh, to be transparent with you, there was a season back in 2012 where our budget, our family budget, was incredibly tight. We had a baby, a two-year-old, and it felt like we were working so hard every day just to keep the budget right, and we had one of those months where we just overspent. And I woke up one morning and I looked at the bank account and we had nothing in our checking account. And the paycheck wasn't coming for several days. And we stretched meals and even at one point I remember scrounging up change, going through the couches and the drawers to see if we would have enough so I could take the boys to McDonald's. And I remember that season in particular thinking, I never want to feel like this again. I never want to be stuck in a season where I feel like I just don't have enough and I am fearful that I won't have enough. But it's not just enough resources that I've been concerned about before. I think about enough talent. When God called me into ministry, I was surrounded by pastors and preachers that were incredibly gifted and incredibly talented, great preachers, and I thought, I will never measure up to that. There's been seasons where I've been worried that I don't have enough time. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said something like, I wish there were 36 hours in a day. Because 24 is not enough to get everything done that I need to get done. Can you relate? This fear, this anxiety that often churs within our bodies, our minds, and our souls that we're not going to have enough. And so we often then compare ourselves to others. Look at how talented they are. Look at how much they have. Look at how much they are able to accomplish. And all of this leads to this overwhelming feeling of discontentment. Furthermore, it leads to this feeling that, that not only are we discontent, but now we're not worthy. Or maybe we're not living our best life now. And see, this, this feeling of not having enough or this scarcity mindset, if you will, goes all the way back to the beginning of time. This is not a new phenomenon. This is not a Western phenomenon. This is not just keeping up with the Joneses mindset. But we see this in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God gave humanity abundant gifts and abundant blessing. And God said to humanity, you can eat all that you want except for fruit from this tree that brings a knowledge of good and evil. And we see the Bible's first sin is a lack of contentment that then drove to this scarcity mindset. And what did they do? They ate from that forbidden tree. And what we then see then all throughout scripture is God constantly piercing through, cutting through this scarcity mindset. As though life is a zero-sum game, as though life is, is, is one pie, and we all get a slice, and if someone else has a bigger slice than us, then, then we aren't worthy, they're more worthy than us, and we don't have enough, and it's just not fair. But in scripture, we see God giving us a framework, not of a scarcity, 
but one of abundance. I can think of of John's gospel, the very first miracle of Jesus at the wedding of Cana. Jesus' mother comes to Jesus, she's frantic, she's panicked. Jesus, we don't have enough wine. What are we going to do? Jesus then, what does he do? He goes and he fills the barrels to the brim and they begin to overflow in abundance. They have more wine than they know what to do with. Later on in John's gospel, at the feeding of the 5,000, after teaching all day long, the disciples come to Jesus. They're panicked. They're anxious. We don't have enough food, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these? There's 5,000 people here. It's too late for us to go into town and get food. What are we going to do? And what does Jesus do? He takes but just some loaves and fish and he shows the abundance of the kingdom and he feeds 5,000 people. And Jesus, what he's doing is constantly giving us a vision for the abundance of the kingdom that stands in stark contrast to this scarcity mindset that is churning in so many of our souls day in and day out. The fear of not having enough resources, the fear of not having enough home, the fear of not having enough achievement or success. And it seems to me different times in my life when I've been stuck in that scarcity mindset. Whenever I reach another notch of where I think if I can just get there, then finally I'll be content. It's fleeting. For moments later, I'm still wanting more. And so the Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter four, which we're going to look at today as we wrap up our series. We've been, in, we've been in the book of Philippians for the last seven weeks. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And today we're gonna to look at chapter four, verses 10 through 23, as he closes out this letter. And what Paul does for us this morning is he pierces right through again this scarcity mindset, but in stunning in almost odd ways for us in our Western society. So let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul has to say for us. We're gonna look at Philippians chapter four, beginning at verse 10. If you do have your Bibles, would love for you to open up and read along with me. Otherwise, if not, uh, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible app. This is what Paul says. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any In every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through whom who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as Paul pens this letter, we've continued to reflect over the last seven weeks that his life makes no sense at all. He's in prison. He has little resources. I would imagine he has had nights where he's tossing and turning because he's probably sleeping on a hard surface. He maybe has chains attached to him or ropes attached to him or he's behind a prison cell. He's probably not getting lavish food. He's probably not getting his favorite meals. He is um, lacking uh, external comfort in many ways. And yet he, he writes this letter. And what he's saying, he says, I'm okay. Really, no. He says, I'm okay. And he says, in fact, not only am I okay, not only do I have more than enough, but I have learned the secret of contentment. And then he goes on to pen one of the most repeated Bible verses and also misused Bible verses in all of Scripture in Philippians 4.13. He says, for I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When I first became a Christian, I quoted this verse all the time. And I would usually use it in settings like before a swim meet. I get up behind the swimmer's block and I'd be like, I can do, I'm gonna win this because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or I'd be taking the ACT. I am gonna get a good score because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I would usually use that verse with some sort of goal ahead of me, something to accomplish, something to achieve, or, or something to earn, or something to gain. External success. And of course, by the grace of God, I think God was always present when I was quoting that verse and, and loving me and drawing me closer to God's presence. But I don't think that this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he says this verse. It's not about God giving us personal achievement so that we can be successful, so that we can acquire more, so that we can win, so that we can get whatever it is we're trying to get to. But see, we've got to zoom out for a moment and understand the greater context of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. See, listen again. In verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He says, indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
And he goes on to talk about what it feels like to live in want and to live in plenty, to live in need and to be content. And see, what he's doing here is he's responding to the great concern that the church in Philippi has shown for him. They have blessed him with resources, with monetary gifts, with a lot of concern, and he is grateful for their love. It's as if he's saying, thanks, and also, I'm good. Thank you so much for your love for me, because what he's trying to communicate to them, he's saying, even if you did not take care of me in this way, even if you did not send me monetary gain or resources, even if I didn't have uh, food, even if I didn't have all of these external things that we often look to to bring us contentment, that we often look to to bring us comfort, he says, even still, if you didn't do that, I'd still be content. He says, in fact, I've learned the secret to contentment. Now, this Greek word for content is atakris. Now, this word was a word that was often used by Stoic philosophers, and it was seen as the, one of the wise, one of the, the greatest um, um, attributes that, that one could have in life. In fact, if one learned the secret of being content, they were considered to be a wise person for the Stoic philosophers. Uh, that, that they recognized that external circumstances, financial gain, monetary gain, whatever it is, that that was not contingent on contentment. And so Paul agreed with the Stoic philosophers, and he was absolutely using this word to give a nod to that. But then Paul tells us where he gets his contentment. You see, Paul, very different from the Stoic philosophers, did not believe that he must, muscled his way to contentment, that he just uh, had a mental gymnastics to thinking through why he should be content. But his contentment came from somewhere very different. And he tells us, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. See, for Paul, he understood that contentment has nothing to do with our external circumstances, and he also knew that contentment was found in one place and one place alone. He didn't will himself into contentment. He didn't muscle his way through contentment. He didn't think enough positive thoughts just to get to contentment. But it came from a well that only comes from the abundance of the kingdom. Paul understood that the abundant life, Paul understood that the life of contentment came from one place and one place alone. No matter how deep the valleys, no matter how much the floodwaters were rising, no matter how great the storm, no matter how thick the fog, no matter how parched and dry the desert place, Paul knew the secret to contentment. Similarly, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, when he, he gives us this list of all the haves and the haves-nots, he gives us a list of those who are in dire straits. He gives us a list of all the people that are struggling, those who mourn, those who are persecuted, those who are hungry and thirsty, those who are poor in spirit. And what does Jesus say about them? They're blessed. Why? 
because they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. These are the people who are totally wrapped up in clinging to the power and the presence of Jesus when they are grieving, when they are mourning, when they have not, and yet they have discovered that the key and secret to contentment is by the grace and the power of Jesus. And you see, this is the framework that the Apostle Paul was working off of. He knew the abundance of the kingdom. In fact, he, he writes about this in, in numerous places, this idea of abundance. I can, I can think of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, as he writes to, to the people in Corinth. He talks about abundant blessings available to us. Listen to what he says. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul also talks about abundant power that is available to us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, when he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Abundant power for those who feel as though they are weak. When we are weak, God is strong. Paul also believes in the words of Jesus when Jesus promises us all abundant life, not just someday, but here and now. When Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We get this picture of the wine that is full to the brims. My friends, God wants us to live an abundant life, overflowing here and now, and it comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Not only that, but Paul reminds us that we can have abundant hope when the days seem dark and despairing, when all of life seems as though it is lost and we have nothing left. Paul says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we get this idea of, we see these, these wine bar barrels that are full and overflowing. The world gives us a lot of reasons to despair. The world gives us a lot of reasons to harden our hearts and to doubt and question. But Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit, the God of hope, fills us with joy and that you and I can be filled with hope overflowing. The Apostle Paul agrees with his brother in Christ, James, when James tells us what to do in moments of struggle and of doubt when we don't know what to do. When we are in a difficult circumstance and the decision just seems impossible to make, James tells us that we can have abundant wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Abundant wisdom. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter five, verse five, that we can have abundant love. That the love of God reaches every crevice and nook and cranny of our lives. That the love of God cuts through even the sin from our lives. That nothing 
possibly could ever separate us from this life and he love and he gives us this vision of love overflowing and he says and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of God reaches every person who thinks that they are undeserving of the love of God. The love of God reaches all the people who we think the love could not possibly reach. And not only does the love of God reach that person, but Paul says that it fills us in our hearts and that we can live an abundant life where we share that love of God amid a weary and broken and hurting world and that the world can see exactly what the love of God is like. And my friends, we could go on with the abundance that is available in the kingdom of God. There is abundant relationship, abundant goodness, abundant peace, abundant joy, abundant patience, abundant presence, abundant relationship. And my friends, if there's anything that I have learned in my past 25 years of following Jesus, it's this. God is a God that just wants to give and 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 when we think that we still don't have enough, God gives again and God gives lavishly and abundantly and freely and generously. So to those of you this morning who find themselves struggling which is not enough, And for so many of you, for good reason, what to validate for what so many of you are going through is really hard. What some of you are going through is unthinkable. What some of you are going through is unbelievable pain. What some of you are going through is hard. And God gives us a framework for how to navigate life when we feel like we're not having enough. You see, I I sometimes wonder if this Western world that we live in, this constant churning of comparing ourselves to our neighbor, I don't wonder actually, I believe, that it has given us a distorted vision of living our best life now. And that has given us a distorted vision of what living a worthy life is. And so we're constantly looking at the world and those around us comparing and always discontent. Paul knew the secret to contentment. And it was this. It was a life that was completely enamored in love with, seeking after with a single-minded focus, totally wrapped up in Jesus. It was a life from the morning when he woke, his thoughts were upon Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, walking in the presence of Jesus, walking in the grace of Jesus, and all of that drove his life. Now some of you might be thinking, well that just sounds really intense. My friends, maybe so, but it is full of abundant blessings. And you can have that life too. 
Because when we begin to live a life where we are beholding the presence and the power of Jesus, all of that stuff becomes secondary. Not too long ago, I read a story from Bob Goff, author of Love Does. And Bob talks about his lifelong dream of sailing across the ocean. And he and four other buddies finally had the chance to get on a 35-foot sailboat and sail in a competition from California to Hawaii. And he said they they got aboard the boat. It was a ragtag team. They kind of knew what they were doing. They could fake it till they made it. They, they had chili, uh, cans of chili and water, and he said that the, the trip just took them way longer than what they expected. They zigzagged everywhere. There are times they were going completely the wrong direction. And after 16 days of being out to sea, they finally arrived at the shores of Hawaii in the middle of the night. And as they steered the boat to shore, the announcer came over to the loudspeaker saying their names as if they had done something great and phenomenal. And Bob remarked how emotional it was because the announcer never got on the screen and said, wow, you guys were a mess. You should not have been out there doing that. You zigzagged all over the place. You should have gotten yourself a GPS. It's not what the announcer said. Instead, what the announcer said is, friends, it's been a long trip. Welcome home. Friends, it's been a long trip. Welcome home. You see, here's how I'm making that connection for us this morning. One day, we're going to set our sails towards home, our eternal home. And we'll reflect on our lives. There'll be lots of zigzagging journeys. There's going to be, be moments where we reflect and we wonder, wow, that was a mess. But we're not going to hear over the loudspeaker of heaven as we come home. Welcome, you're worthy to be here because you collected great wealth. Welcome, you're, you're worthy to be here because you had prestigious degrees or a nice kitchen. Welcome, you're worthy to be here because you finally got that promotion or you finally got your kids on that travel ball team. Instead, what we're going to hear is, welcome home. You're worthy because Jesus is worthy. And that's not just a someday reality, but that's truth for us right now as you have breath in your lungs. You are worthy because Jesus is worthy. And when we begin that to learn that life of truly beholding the face and the glory and the presence of Jesus and opening up ourselves up to the life of Jesus, what we've learned is that all that chasing was fleeting because we have found that living our best life now has been right in front of us all along. And his name is Jesus. As one songwriter once said, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus.
Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we are chasers of contentment, pursuers of success, runners for achievement. But God, help us to tilt our lives away from those things and tilt towards you. And God, we pray that the abundant goodness of God would overflow in our lives in such a way that all of that chasing becomes fleeting like a mirage in the desert place and that the presence and reality of Jesus centers us to the kingdom. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.